Binge Movies, the revolutionary force in movie reviews. Greetings, Binge Lords. This is Jason from Binge Movies, and I'm here with another special feature, another special interview, a bonus feature, if you will. I'm joined uh, by a proprietor slash artist slash entrepreneur uh, by the name of Jim. Jim is someone you might know. You might have seen his work on social media. He is one of a growing trend of artists that are out there. And I thought he would be absolutely perfect uh, for our audience and those who binge movies. Uh, Jim, you are the creator, lead creative, sole creative artist, entrepreneur, business person, and interviewee for a little thing called Video Faves. Um, Describe yourself, your aesthetic as an artist, kind of what compels you to do the work that you do, and what is that work? I guess we should start there. I, I know I just hit you with about five different questions, but pick any one of those you want and we'll go from there no problem okay so you're right i'm pretty much all of the above what you've just mentioned there uh so yes my name is jim i am the uh creator of video faves and basically what i do is outside of my freelance graphic design work i create uh, mock-up v- vhs designs and um you you just asked me what compels me uh to do what i do and do describe my aesthetic. Um, So I approach my VHS designs with attempts to recreate something familiar. It's important to me to recapture something that's of its era, whilst it being a fresh take uh, by creating original designs, essentially, which is wonderful because you are basically treating the VHS sleeve itself as an open canvas, creatively speaking. Um, what compels me to do this, aside of the fact that I can, is that there, there's still a passion, I believe, for this format. And not only that, but the nostalgia and personal connection is always there too. So if you've lived through the 80s and 90s, then you're sure to understand how big of an impact home video was to you. I know for me, VHS is like, um, like a time capsule of sorts. You know, the, the early days of a golden time in cinema and I always find that in of itself to be influential and inspiring so that's really what pushes me to do this you're taking in particular your work you're taking older movies sometimes and you're not just basing it off of the existing VHS work for say one of your more recent ones that your followers voted on was Ghostbusters 2 you're not just taking the 1989 or any of the subsequent variant designs and kind of spice it up you're coming up with a completely new design at the same time if it's a brand new movie or a television series or whatever it is that your fans or you yourself have decided to to do um you're not just simply trying to take new stuff and kind of make it look like what it might have looked like if it was released in vhs 
you go a step further because not only are you creating the art, but you are bringing it into the real world. You are making physical copies of these tapes. You're not recreating blockbuster video. You're creating the mom and pop video shop that used to be on every corner in the States. And I assume it was the same when you were growing up in England, that there was many of mom and pop video stores. Yeah. Where you could hire videos or we would say rent videos. And, you know, they were dirty. <laughs> Oftentimes. They the, weren't always clean. There wasn't always a blockbuster. You're absolutely right. Yeah. And your, yeah, your aesthetic is, is not just lived in. It's not just worn. It's not just like, like kind of have a, that grit and grain to it. But also, it's a little, uh, I don't know if this is intentional, but it's a little um, bootleggish, a little bit. Like, it's a little bit like, what you're doing is um, you're taking basically high name, high end commercial brands, typically, or IP, for lack of a better term. And you are, you are making it as if it was released as a B movie, oftentimes like the design that you're doing, which in the, and you and I, I mean, we would talk about this, but the video store era was the heyday of the B movie. It was the heyday because suddenly a movie that was, you know, uh, theatrically released worldwide and made good money for the eighties or nineties could sit right next to on the shelf to a movie that was made solely for the purpose of <laughs> suckering people in at the video store. So the, it was a boon period, not just for independent movies or low budget movies, but also for m movie art, key art for films, because that was the main way that you were advertising your film. It had to catch the eye of somebody on a shelf. And I think you recreate that. Is that intentional? Are you trying to recreate that kind of, not just video store aesthetic, not just that like Ridley Scott lived in world aesthetic, but you're, are you trying to create that like slight B movie aesthetic as well? Or am I just reading too much into it? It's, I'll be honest, it's a little bit of both. So I do approach, so it, sometimes it just depends on the, on the title that I'm creating. Yeah. That can sometimes dictate where I want to go with it or whatever mood that I'm in, <laughs> in particular. But I do consider that B movie aesthetic. And I sometimes I, I, I'll completely go the other way and I'll think of something completely like clean, take like a horror movie and just like brighten it up and just play with it, you know, whatever I'm feeling like. So it's a little bit of everything there, you know, um, you hit the nail on the head when you mentioned about like there were like titles that seemed to like, even though they were fairly newish, they did look like they've been, you know, lived in for a while. You know, they look like they've seen some wear and tear, you know, pretty quickly. Um, so it is all about, the finer details, you know, it's got to register with you, you know, otherwise you're just, I mean, I don't know what you would be making if you weren't considering all those, uh, you know, those little finer details from like the mold, the creases, the fade in the color and all those, all those little pieces in there. Um, so yeah, it really is about just capturing every little aspect of that display that you would see, you know, from, from the blockbuster to the mom and pop store. So what is, what is your process kind of look like? Walk us through that. Okay. Well, it usually, well, when I first started doing this, um, I would collaborate with other artists around the world. I was very fortunate to reach out to people and they, 
liked what they liked what I did, and they wanted to be a part of that. Not everyone did. Some people declined me and didn't want to be a part of it, and that was fine. But the ones that did, that was great because it it was a simple case of just moving over what they did and making it part of a VHS sleeve, and that would start out from say me dissecting a scan of an original VHS tape. Um, so it'd be as simple as that, and then using Photoshop to go in there and you know, make the necessary changes to make it something special. And, and then I would add on everything else afterwards, like the effect that you see the, you know, the mold and the worn effect and stuff that's all done through Photoshop. Um, but now it's more me than ever. Um, so it's more me creating it from scratch as opposed to me creating it from scratch and collaborating with someone. Uh, I've so, sort of taken the reins on myself. So I will separately go, go away and create a design. And once I'm happy with that, I then move that over like I would with someone else's work, move over to dissecting the VHS, making it look like something good, original, at least to a certain point, because you, know, you don't want it too far removed because then you won't know what you're looking at. Um, <laughs> right. <laughs> and that's, right. A, that's, you know, that's very important. And then uh, I apply everything, usually like the, the things like the stickers and the mold that I've mentioned, you know, the wear and tear, uh, all the things that you used to see, and that comes afterwards. So really, the first step of the process is getting that front cover done, getting that main design. That's, that's what mm. captures your attention, I believe, yeah. whenever you're looking at any VHS. I mean, you'll look at the back and you read the details, but that, that front cover art is, that plays the biggest part uh, in its display. So especially for your newer releases, they were always front facing. Yeah. And the hope was if the front hooked you, you'd grab it and flip it over. And then they try to hook you with a description on the back and maybe a couple photos. So you could get an idea of what the movie kind of looked like and some key names and, you know, some plot details. And so you get a, a synopsis, a summary that sometimes was uh, very poorly written or sometimes was, was better written than the movie itself. Again, it was sometimes a bait and switch with this stuff where the art was amazing and maybe the background description sounded so great. Maybe even a couple names sounded great, but then all of a sudden you realize you had Frank Stallone and not Sly Stallone and you, you know, you, you had a bad night at the movies basically. But is there any cover that kind of stands out to you as being, you know, expertly done that, that you know, you take some kind of... Ooh. That's a good question. Um, the ones that have really stuck with me, I have to say, are the horror ones. Um, the stuff that used to scare you, that left an impact on you. Like, when you'd leave the store, you could stop thinking about it because it probably freaked you out. At that time, your brain doesn't know what to do. It just relies on your imagination to fill in the gaps. And, you know, yeah. it's, it's titles like that. It's titles like Child's Play, mm. things of that nature. Uh, the ones that used to... I mean, everybody loves the Back to the Future stuff, uh, E.T., oh, Spielberg yeah. stuff, yep. Jaws. All that stuff is very, you know, it captured your eye. It was very um, inspirational, and it's definitely influential. Even now you see it in a lot of uh, creative designs, marketing, be it commercial or wherever. Are there any movies that you've tried to do, that you've tried to, you know, work your magic on? And for whatever reason, you just couldn't quite get the design and you just couldn't quite translate. Now, I know you're an artist, so you're going to, there's probably a million things that flood to your mind of like, even stuff you might be proud of that you're like, yeah, but I didn't quite get it. 
But is there something you just kind of set aside and go, you know, just again, see, that's a good question as well. Um, I've tried to put out everything that I've done because I can't leave it alone until I feel like I'm happy with it. Mm. But there are some times where I feel like I don't know how much more I can do with this because there's this worry. At least I have this worry when I, whenever I'm putting something out there, especially when it comes to these kind of designs that you can oversaturate them. You know, you can clutter too many faces, too many objects yeah. on the, on the cover there. And, um, I know a recent one I did, I, I attempted the, uh, the movie Beetlejuice. And I found that kind of a, a struggle to do simply because uh, I wasn't sure what to do with it that would make it original. And everything that already, that's already out there has kind of covered its, mm. it's covered a lot of ground. Like Beetlejuice, there's only so much you can do with it, really. It's a very distinct aesthetic, too, with a Tim Burton style. So it's not, you mix it up too much and it's not necessarily translating, like you said. Yeah, like calling back to what I said before about, you know, when you go too far with, creativity you can lose what you were originally trying to attempt mm. so i feel like you know with beetlejuice you could like put the house in there you could put the sandworms in there you could put every single creature that ghost that appears in that movie and that might look great and you might do something special with that but then you've just you know you could end up with uh well, what's what's that term too many cooks spoil the, the uh, broth yeah, yeah. so I, I always say that in consideration and um I know I kind of did that recently with Ghostbusters too. I was just like, I'm going to put everything on this so I can change my <laughs> mind. And a lot of people like that one. It seemed to turn out all right. Some people were like, no, that's great. Cause you know, the original Ghostbusters two design, you know, it wasn't so much. And that, that's also an inspiration to me too. When it comes to doing something original, when you mentioned those titles, like, you know, Batman and uh, Jurassic Park, where it just had the logo on there, it, yeah. you know, it's sort of almost giving you free reign to be a bit more experimental. But with Beetlejuice, I'm still like, at the time I finished it, I was kind of like a bit, eh. but I still put it out because I, I believed it, you know, it was a title that, that was worth mixing up. And, you know, I love that movie anyway. So, um, but every once in a while, I think that's, you know, that's the thing with any sort of um, creative person. They, they will always have that. They always take a step back from their work after they feel that they've done what they've done is accomplished and be like, Oh, I would change that maybe. And I mean, it's my design. I guess I could go back and change it, but um, I like to keep moving forward. So, yeah, I think, that, I think when you're a creative person though, and you, like you said, you created anything, um, you, you see the things that you don't like about it and that your audience doesn't necessarily see that because they weren't there for the process. I guess like with your show, I don't know if you feel like once, You've wrapped up. You're like, oh, what I could have said that. It's always the shoulda, coulda, wouldas. Usually the episodes that I'm the hardest on that I'm like, uh, I worked at it, I worked at it, I worked at it, and it just hit for, it just, it didn't hit the level that I wanted it to. Oftentimes, not always, but oftentimes, those are the ones that I get inevitably the most tweets about where somebody goes, oh, that was a great episode. Oh, that's one of my favorites. Oh, I, I re-listened to that episode. I really love that one. I'm thinking, really? And then the one I thought, okay, yeah, yeah, this is right where I want it to be. It does good, but I don't, I don't hear that positive feedback. So sometimes the, my biggest standout episodes or other things that I create, um, the ones I'm like, eh, this one's not so great. That's usually where I get the most feedback. And again, it's all about um, making peace with that. So I guess it's an individual thing. Keep moving forward. <laughs> you have to. I, I, you know, I had a creative writing uh, prof, and he said, 
when it comes to the writing or whatever you're doing creatively, poetry or short fiction or whatever it is, in your case, graphic design or podcasting or whatever, you got to let the dog drive. And that is you have to turn off essentially the editor in your own mind and you just have to create. You have to be in a pure creative mode. And then if there's time to be the later, the editor, that comes later. That comes after the creation process is done. And then you can refine and tweak and adjust and whatever. But you, if you try to stifle that, if you let that voice of inner critic be too loud during the creative process, you'll never make anything because you'll stifle yourself. And so you kind of have to give yourself the freedom to play and the freedom to experiment and the freedom to it has to be about the process and not necessarily the, the outcome. Like let the dog drive. You might not get where you're going, but you never know where you might end up kind of a thing. So that's a wonderful metaphor. Yeah. Let, let, let the dog drive. I remember that one. <laughs> what, do you, what do you think the video store look and the VHS look is so appealing to so many artists and folks in general, like me, you and our listeners, why do you think we give a shit all these years later? Um, well, I believe uh, in the last, well, few or so years, we've seen this major resurgence, right, from the 80s yeah. and the 90s. And this is simply another piece of that puzzle. Um, I, like many others out there, have taken it upon ourselves to show that love to all of this as well. And it doesn't yeah. seem like it's going to be going anywhere yeah. anytime soon, you know, with all these t- uh, TV remakes and film sequels, reboots, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, you also have like, you know, these contemporary shows that are showing up like Stranger Things helping that curiosity as well. Not to mention like musical genres like Synthwave. All this is opening up to a new generation as well, um, uh, which showcases to them of a more, say, simpler time of wonder and imagination. And to those of us like me and you that live through that time, it also stands as a, as a reminder of it all. The video store look um, represented so much more, I, I think, than just a place where you could rent your movies. It was a place where human beings, you know, came together and bonded over various forms of entertainment, which is obviously still available today, but not in the same way when it comes to, say, streaming and downloads, etc. Um, I feel like people are still missing that connection in a way, you know, even today as we speak. And yet it does still kind of feel like a loss, doesn't it, the video store? It does. I mean, when I was growing up in England, uh, we didn't have, at least in my experience, I don't know, it might be a different story from somebody else, but I didn't see so much of that socializing. I definitely saw more of that when I moved to the States, but I saw that kind of interaction over here. And and I I just think back to the time like when you guys must have had, had that and now it's missing in a way and we... You know, we, we don't see so much of that, sadly, you know. And as you say, everything's more, you know, obtainable. It's instant. It's, you know, it's not really tangible anymore. And, you know, we, I guess for some of us, maybe of a certain age, we do miss that. That was, that no one was going to tell us all this was going to be taken away one day. And, right. and we were cool with it at the time. We were ready to move on and accept, you know, changes. But then I think it just, there comes a moment where, like, Going back to what I said about it not just being about movies, it was, you know, it was a bigger connection than that. Yes, it was about renting that title, but you went with your parents, you went with your friends. It became the Friday night, the Saturday night, you know, it was the end of the week after school. 
whatever your story was, it, it resonated with you. We knew what the release schedule was and say Jim and Jason, say you, you had been here at a time and you know, we worked together, we went to school together and Jurassic Park finally came out on home video a year after it had been released in theaters and you're in some change. And we know when it's going to drop and we go to the video store and you go with your family and I go with mine and we see each other on Monday and we both rented the same movies over the weekend, created something for us to talk about. Now, when a new movie comes out, unless we're both going to the theater opening weekend, you're going to see it when you see it, and I'm going to see it when I see it, and then we're going to go to brunch, and you're going to go, oh, have you seen the new Jurassic Park? And I'll go, no, nah, I haven't got around to that one yet. I'm going to wait till VOD. you know. And it just isn't the same conversation. It isn't the same communal sort of experience. Yeah, for better or for yeah. worse. Um, you know, if you think about children growing up in this generation, Obviously, they're not going to question this. Uh, the only thing they'll probably question is, well, like, why are you so into movies so much? Like, there's other things out there. Um, but, yeah, absolutely. It's, you're taking different paths to whereas back in the day, it felt like everyone was seeing it. It was the same with TV, I believe. You know, you watch an episode of Show My yeah. Age now, uh, X-Files, or maybe Quantum Leap, uh, just as an example, next day <laughs> at school or at work. Yeah. <laughs> You'd be all talking about, everyone knew what you were talking about. You'd describe a scene or something that happened and the person next to you would get it. And now you sort of have to tell people and break it down. You say, well, if you want to see this, you've got to go to Hulu or Netflix. And we That's don't exactly right. That. Again, it's that instant connection is kind of missing. And maybe like, I get it for this generation. Like this is no, no longer a big deal if it ever was before. It's just not something to think about. So I think it really just catered to that audience that was around at that time. And that audience is still there. You know, all those millions of people that did see Jurassic Park when it came out, you know, they're, they're still alive, I'm pretty sure. So um, there's a <laughs> bunch of us around, that, you know, old timers or whatever you want to call us, that, uh, you know, long for a little bit but more. Because right, we're not happy with the way things We don't you like all these avenues sometimes. And we like to, you know, we, we miss that shared connection. I think it can be as simple as that. You know, if you want to break it down, it can be as simple as that. Nostalgia is a powerful tool. You said something kind of profound where you said we were ready to move on. We didn't really mind at the time. I know I certainly didn't. When I watched video store after video store close, I saw it in two waves. Um, the first wave was the independents went out of business because of Blockbuster and Hollywood video. And, and I'm going to be honest with you, I have no nostalgia whatsoever for big, giant, corporate chain video stores because I never liked them. Even at the time, I really didn't like them. In particular, I really did not like Blockbuster. I never felt comfortable in a Blockbuster. Uh, I had a membership. I just, I hardly ever used it. I would go out of my way to not have to go to Blockbuster. And even as a kid, I didn't like it. I didn't like getting my games from there. Um, I just, there was something about it. It was too bright. It was too, it was too samey. It's, yeah, it smelled plastic. It smelled artificial. And I remember, you know, my dad would go there. But they kind of came in and they killed, I remember there was a small part of town that I grew up in. And on, I don't know, probably half a mile, a quarter of a mile, maybe, you know, not very much not very long, uh, same road. There were at one time three independent movie rental shops and all owned by people from the community. 
And two of them hung around forever. And then eventually a local chain moved in and knocked it down, kind of replaced the one. Uh, but it was now a local chain and a, a single mom and pop shop. And that's just in one little part of town. I could go take you to another part of town. And remember there was four or five on the same, you know, three, four mile stretch of road. And eventually blockbuster Hollywood video came in and they crushed and killed pretty much all of the independent theaters, except for some of the larger local chains. And eventually those went away. And ironically, kind of the latest arrival in my area was family video. And they ended up outlasting both uh, Hollywood and blockbuster. Um, They just closed about a year or two ago. And, um, and yeah, it was, it was living through those iterations. You're hundred percent right. I mean, kids today are probably instantly bonding over what they're seeing on TikTok or social media, or, you know, maybe something that's dropping on Spotify or people. Yeah. Whatever's trending. It's, it's a different world. And I'm not saying it's better than I'm just saying it's different than, but to your point, when the world was changing, we were for it. What I remember when streaming started to become a thing, I was one of the early adopters of um, of Netflix Instant, which was the what they originally called their streaming service, which was just this like weird add on to their disc service. And I even remember the mail in of of Netflix, and I remember everybody kind of around me transitioning to that. And we didn't we, we saw the low cost and the convenience of it all, and we didn't think about the things that we were losing. And then to your point, we woke up one day and we, we realized we had lost a bunch of stuff that we didn't factor in to the, to the cost. Yeah. I, I remember those early days as well with Netflix. I never, I never seen so many scratch discs in my life. Once <laughs> I got them in the mail. I was like, how's this progress? <laughs> Can you remember every movie ever made? Refresh your memory at your local video store. I think I did prefer the mom and pop stores a bit more. There was something a bit more, say, genuine and a bit heartwarming. And there was a bit more, there was a sense of community to it. And, you know, we had those in England as well. I remember one, one small tiny place. I called it Fat Dave's. I can't even remember what the store was called. But I called it <laughs> Fat Dave's because the guy behind... Terrible to say that now, but that's yeah. what his nickname was. That's uh, everyone referred to him, Fat Dave. So I think he even called himself that. I don't know, but he was a great yeah. guy. He was like, "Come on in, look, you know, look at what you want." And it's like, oh, we were looking at you know the R-rated stuff. We were kids, and oh yeah. And when it was Christmas, he was like, "Oh yeah, you can buy that. Just don't tell anyone I saw it to you." You know, real shady chat. <laughs> <laughs> was he sneaking you? Was he sneaking you anything on the video nasties list? Yeah, like anything that we picked up, he was just like, "Yeah, just don't tell anyone," you know. <laughs> like oh that's great and he opened up another store that was just like up around the corner from the top of my street so i was in wow and he would sell off all the x rentals you know the bigger clamshell boxes and things of that nature so yeah i love that guy you wouldn't get that with blockbuster so no it's funny he'll go up the ladder grab your title fart and come back down and give it to you and you're like yeah that's fat dave thank you very much (laughs) (laughs) 
Now, let me ask you two absurd questions before I get to my final ones for you. Uh, I ask this of all of my guests who have a UK or England connection. Uh, beans on toast, yay or nay? Oh, I like beans on toast, but it has to be the right beans. Um, Is it Heinz? It has to be Heinz, that's right. It's the same yeah. with tea as well. Like when I come over here, when I came over here and people told me they drank tea and I was like, that's not tea. At least it's not tea to me. But I've lived here long enough now that, you know, I embrace all these like, you know, little, little differences. And that's, that's what they are. They're just differences. I do love beans on toast. I haven't had it in a while. I was about to say, if you've been here for a while, unless you've like sourced it somewhere, you can't get that blue can of Heinz over here easily with that teal can. We don't, we don't have that here. It's around, but it's, it's not as prevalent here. Sometimes you luck out. Like I can get my tea that I'm used to from back home down at the local target. You know, I have no problems with that sort of thing. Oh, so nice. with certain places, unless you go to like a European market or you're lucky enough to find something online. And if you are, hopefully they'll deliver, deliver that item within say a week. Cause a lot of these places just do imports. Yeah. Um, you know, it's, it, it can prove a little bit difficult sometimes. Do you like your bacon floppy or crispy? Oh, Oh, that's a wonderful question. It depends where it's going. <laughs> I mean, obviously, it's going to okay. go in my stomach. But, like, say if it's on a burger, I like it crispy, yeah. right? It makes yeah. sense. Um, I've gotten used to having crispy bacon for, for breakfast. Um, but I still, you know, if I'm out and I'm having breakfast somewhere, I do like it floppy. The bacon. <laughs> I do like the bacon floppy. <laughs> okay. Or I, I will go to like country us. ham. I, I actually I order the country ham because that. Okay, country ham. All that, right. Yeah, to my taste buds, it, it, it tells me that's English bacon. Like, the, the texture as well is kind of similar. It doesn't quite look the same, but you know my taste buds say, oh, this this could be English bacon, so I kind of go with that. Oh, look how clever you are. No, yeah, very smart. <laughs> but I've got cravings for beans on toast now, so thank you very much. <laughs> well, you're welcome. What the hell is the deal with stewed tomatoes in a fry-up? Stewed tomatoes in a fry-up. Well, yeah, you guys, you guys have, I, it's, I see so often, I, I, was, I don't even know if they are stewed, but they are, you just like, tomatoes for breakfast. Yeah, I mean, it's all part of the, uh, the breakfast, you know, ordeal with the eggs and the bacon, you know, and your toast. Eggs, floppy bacon, beans, toast. Has to be floppy. Prob yeah, probably a couple more meats, if we're being honest. Probably some sausage of some kind. Yeah, the cup of tea, yeah, that's right. Yeah. And then tomatoes. The, 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 you know, what's going on with tomatoes? I never had them, to be honest. Oh, I was, I was you. terrible. Uh, you can speak to my mom. I don't know how you could, but she'll tell you I was very bad with my vegetables. <laughs> I was a I was oh, kid that would push them to the side. So, yeah, I, I tell you what, even now, today, I keep my breakfast very simple. So it will be toast or it will be just eggs, you know, or cereal. You know, I don't mess about too much. I kind of get in there, get it in my mouth and go about my day, you know. Always <laughs> with a cup of tea. I don't, I, I just, you know, I just don't have the time or the hassle to faff around with, you know, the extra bits and pieces. Yeah, yeah. You love tea. Is milk going into the tea? Is it truly English tea? It has to be. I mean, I... That's not tea to me. It's got to be, you got to have your tea bag. You either have two to three teaspoons of sugar in there. You got to boil the kettle, fill up the cup. See, I'm, I'm schooling you about this now. Uh, yeah, that's what I want. Yeah. So after you put the tea bag and the sugar in there, three quarters of the cup, the mug, 
Um, that's going to be your boiled water. You stir it around, stir that sugar around because it will settle on the bottom. And just like Starbucks, you don't want that. You want it stirred. Yeah. You leave it in there for a couple of minutes just so you can get that flavor of the tea bag nice and settled. You then squeeze that tea bag out of there and then you fill up the rest of that mug with, uh, with your milk. Stir it around so you get that Look nice golden that. color. And that's your, that's your English cup of tea. At least that's the way it should be. Is there going to be a discrepancy? Am I going to hear back from some of our listeners, our binge lords? We're going to be like, nah, that guy gave you the wrong recipe. Or is that pretty much the standard? That's the standard. And I'll argue with anybody over that. <laughs> okay. <laughs> See, what people don't know, a little peek behind the curtain, is Jim is maybe one of the most accommodating, nicest souls I've ever had to, to interact with whatsoever in like the history of this show and maybe my life. But the one time he's like, nah, I'll fight you is over tea. So that tells well, I mess you about with my tea. Uh, yeah, I'm, <laughs> that's serious business to me. I drink about five cups of it a day. So, you know, I don't mess about. <laughs> oh, my goodness. So I'm such a stereotype in that regard. I, I need my I need my tea. What can I say? Now to my final serious questions. Have you ever gotten any pushback from IP owners who maybe have seen your work or feel like you're indulging in a little bit of copyright infringement. I know some other artists who do similar work to you have been sent cease and desist letters from major studios. Have you ever caught the ire of the suits? Well, I will say like I've seen a lot of people online. I'm not going to mention any names. I mean, I, I guess if anyone follows this kind of, you know, retro, retro VHS design work, they've probably like seen some people that have been affected by that. Um, and it is a really good question. Um, to date, no, we haven't. And that's not to say that it can't happen. Uh, if it ever does, then respectfully, you know, we will do what's requested of us. I say we because it's not just me that puts together everything. There's a couple of people under me that do the, the mailing, the packaging, all that stuff, you know, behind the yeah. scenes. Um, it's never an intention to claim, like, copyright on anything that's being put on display. These are fan created projects and i've done work for certain individuals within the industry that have been like you have my permission go ahead and some that have needed to have a bigger discussion with me about the intentions of my work uh, mm. end of the day it's all about communication and respect never the intent to cause trouble so if there's any if there becomes any sort of pushback then we will do what is asked of us so no complaints whatsoever there but to date no we haven't like i say yeah to be clear though and again i'm not an attorney so i'm not giving you legal advice but you're even when you're taking elements of pre-existing images or artwork or whatever you're, you're doing such a transformative work on them you're not this isn't just a cut and paste job and i went on google and i found two or three quick picks and copy image and dump it into photoshop and blend mode and you know i don't know add a, add a couple texture layers and throw a couple stickers on it and go eh, i'm done you're actually doing a transformative work which is the work of that's the function of art art is a transformative process you're you you are inspired and you innovate off of what inspired you and i feel like that's what you're doing as an artist again i probably will give you no legal standing in court but just as an outside observer that's what i think that you're doing that, that's pretty much you hit the nail on the head there. Um, there's always that argument. I mean, 
you're I believe that you're always kind of running a fine line in a sense when it comes to putting something out there creatively that's been inspired by something that's already established. So yeah. uh, I mean, I'm sure there's a bunch of people I don't know personally that are on, say, a website like DeviantArt, where they've seen a movie, seen a TV show, whatever it is, and they've created something they put out there. And you know, you might have someone argue, well, you can't do that because you know that's not yours to do and then that person might argue well that's my personal representation of it it's not necessarily my intention to you know bypass any sort of you know copyright disagreements or anything like that so it's it's a it's a strange one to really sort of debate over i think um as i say i've I've worked with people that you know i've reached out with to to get the okay with on certain things in particular because i've just had to do it that way um mm. Uh, I won't mention any names, but I remember I, I did this um, one project for Wine Creative. He owned the project himself, and he was just like, that's okay, you can put it out there, but you can't sell it. So yeah. there's a few designs on there that it's just, that it's just not available to the public, and I respect that every time, um, because then what, what am I doing? You know, it is unfortunate you do see people who just, like, throw caution to the wind, and they've just taken the theatrical poster, and they've just gone, boom, put it on there. You know, it's not my place to tell someone what to do, each to their own. Um, but there are some things I do disagree with. And it's if it's like a straight-out copy, um, that's something that you won't get from me. It has to be something original. So if I get punished in any way, shape, or form for what I do, then I can at least say, well, I went about it my own way instead of, like, with that obvious intention of being transparent and you know, upright stealing, if you will, for lack of a better word. Well, obviously, given what I do here for binge movies, I'm familiar with a lot of stuff in in kind of the genre that you're working in, and there are a lot of different stores. Again, won't name names, a lot of different online shops where you could find some goods. Uh, and, yeah, basically it's all that somebody's doing is they're taking a modern poster, kind of weathering it, aging it, put it into a PNG, maybe printing it and then selling it, you know, even as like a download or something like, Oh, well help here, print your own VHS sleeve or a say of the sleeve or whatever. And there's, they've, they've done little to no work and their work isn't really that good either because you're just literally taking somebody else's work and kind of stretching it to make it fit. And it's like dimensions are all off and none of it makes any sense. And it doesn't feel like a unique creation. And on the other hand, as with everything, there are artists out there, such as yourself, who are putting in the time to, even if they're using established elements, create unique designs that have a unique feel from the existing, you know, posters and design work and and Blu-ray covers or VHS covers, and um, and making them distinct from each other. It's not just the same thing, like you said, over and over again. So. I commend you for doing it the right way and, and putting a, that extra effort into it because it, it makes your work stand out, which is why I wanted to talk to you in the first place. Now, if somebody is, finds you on social media, where should they look for you? And are you open for commissions? And if so, what's that process look like? Uh, we do offer commissions and you can contact us for that. So thank you very much for asking that, by the way. You simply head over to Instagram and you search for Video Faves. Uh, faves is F-A-V-E-S for the spelling. And we'll pop up. 
um, or you can just put in at video faves, one word, and you'll find us like that. Um, if you're wanting to say send us an email instead, you can reach us at videofaves101 at gmail.com and then someone will get back to you within 24 hours as well. So thank you very much. Yeah, and if if you do end up reaching out to Jim or somebody from his team uh, over at Video Faves and you, you request a commission and you move forward with it, let them know that you found out about Video Faves through Binge Movies um, because that'll let him know, hey, that it was worth his time to come on an, uh, a podcast and talk about floppy bacon and uh, and and breakfast. I got to talk about Fat Dave, so you know a lot of accomplished <laughs> today. God bless you, Fat Dave, wherever you are in this world. We need more Fat Daves. We need more clerks who are willing to fart in your face and give you R-rated movies with tons of gore and nudity in them. Have you ever thought about doing a run of recreations? that are only uh, movies that appear in the Video Nasties list? Um, well, I never say no. Because you got video faves. That's kind of the bright side. I mean, you get into some horror stuff here or there. You get into your Halloweens and your Season of the Witches and your, you know, your Supernatural, your Caspers, your Ghostbusters, your whatnot. But I'm talking about the stuff that, mm, Fat Dave had to sneak you in a brown bag from behind the counter. You know, if there's going to be a positive, which is, you know, Jim from Video Faves, is there like a Tim from Video Nasties? Some sort of alternative. Um, I was thinking like something like the Deathstalker series. Do you remember those? The the second one's brilliant. I mean, lately, as you've probably seen, I've I've done a poll asking people to choose for a change. Um, So who knows? I won't say no to it. I I will consider, you know, those sort of rare, obscure titles. Um, that would be fun as well. And also a challenge. I love a challenge when it comes to creating something that's outside of the box. That's, you know, maybe something that's not considered so mainstream. Um, mm. because that can be quite easy as you could probably imagine to put together. And there's always going to be an audience, at least there probably is an audience for it. Um, oh, that's yeah. taught me so much from doing this. Like, I didn't know how much, how big of a scream community there is out there. I mean, there always, always is for horror in general, but there's a lot of scream. Uh, fanatics out there um but i'm not past the idea of doing some obscure and worrying about like oh if how many likes i get or how many followers like yeah it's never about that i appreciate all that stuff um so i don't mind doing something um maybe you can think of something there and throw it my way and i'll see i'll see what i can do oh maybe maybe a little bit little binge movies video faves collab ah, yeah uh, we'll have to talk offline, my friend. Well, Jim, it has been good to have you here. I want listeners go find him. If you're on Instagram, go find video faves, look at, look over his work, look over what he's doing, drop him an email. If you're interested, if you want your own potential custom or you want to commission work, or if you see something he has currently up for sale that strikes your fancy, uh, head over there and don't be afraid to spend a little bit of money. Support an independent creator. Uh, DIY or die is the motto here at Binge Movies, and Jim is a DIY guy. Floppy bacon and all. Jim, it was a pleasure talking to you. You are a kind soul. Thank you for doing this. It's been a real treat, Jason. Thank you so much for having me on. And until next time, binge on. Binge on.